Blog Talk Radio. Well, good afternoon to all my friends on the East Coast. Good morning for all the rest of us in the uh, other time zones across this great uh, continent. Uh, welcome to Small Business IT Radio. This is Stuart Crawford coming to you live on the Block Talk Radio Network. Small Business IT Radio is a program for the small business IT professionals offering valuable business insight and knowledge, uh, key lessons that we can all learn to take into our business and when we're serving our, our customers. And we have a, a great program lined up today uh, here on Small Business IT Radio. We're broadcasting live again, once again, on Blog Talk Radio. It's a free service. I highly recommend you go to blogtalkradio.com and sign up for a free account and get your voice heard off the Internet. I'm coming to you from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, where it's a drizzly uh, day. I can't believe you know we're in the middle of, or beginning of June, and they're actually forecasting snow here tomorrow night or tomorrow morning. Uh, it, yeah, we had, you know, 80, 90 degree weather last week and Mary minus, uh, you know, minus 32 degrees tomorrow. I just, I can't, can't get over that. Anyway, weather changed. Anyway, let's get on with our program. Our guest today is no stranger to our program. Uh, Mary Crane has been on in the past. We talked about a lot of stuff around, you know, the generation, uh, changes in the workforce, Gen X to Gen Y. And we're kind of had a, Check in with Mary and see what's changed since the last time we talked. You know, a lot of things in the economy have definitely uh, changed. The last time we spoke, we were still riding the the uh, the boom, the 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 wave of success. Uh, you know, the economic. Uh, you know, nobody could fail in that economy. You know, 15, 16 months later, wow, what a different story. We're you know we're seeing huge layoffs. Uh, I know they reported this morning here in Canada, 8.4 percent. Of the workforce is no longer employed. I'm, I think that's a little higher down in the states. But Mary Crane is joining us uh, from New York City today. Uh, Mary, good afternoon, and um, just checking in. How are things with you since the last time we spoke? Hey there, Stuart. It's great to be back with you. Um, well, I guess I consider myself one of the lucky people. I'm still staying relatively busy. Um, the numbers that came out with regards to unemployment in the United States earlier today, I think we're at 9.4% here in the U.S. But the good news is, is that the rate of job loss seems to be slowing down significantly. And, in fact, I've heard a number of reports, um, and I think that it may be optimistic before let's hold on to some optimism here right now. The, the most optimistic reports are saying that their anticipation is the recession will be over by the third quarter. And, and um, you know, let, let's just let's hang on and hope that they're correct. Yeah, let's do that because I'm uh, – yeah, I've seen oil – Hit just uh, 70 bucks a barrel uh, earlier today. Kind of dropped a little bit, but uh, you know it's all good. Uh, you know, have that. Uh, you know, those positive signs at least hitting our uh, hitting our economy and the economic factors out there. And I'm I'm like you. I'm all I'll let's just get this thing over with. And uh, I, I I elected eight months nine months ago not to participate in this recession. So uh, I haven't uh, been involved with it. So you know we're relatively busy too, which is great. But Mary, let's let's just kind of bring us up to speed. What's what's happening in the uh, the workforce out there, especially when we're looking at uh, the younger generations? Uh, is there any major changes happened in the last uh, year and a half? Oh sure, and and the world changed dramatically for members of the millennial generation that are entering into the workforce. You know, I, I think you and I both know, and in fact, I think we talked about it 18 months or so ago. That that 18 months ago, even a year ago, 
there were young people coming into workplaces that literally felt that they were in control of those workplaces. In some cases, young folks I know were showing up at law firms in the United States saying, you know, I know I've accepted the offer, and I know I accepted the offer at this amount of, in, in this term of, of salary, but now that I'm actually walking into the door, I think I need some sort of a signing bonus. Well, I, I think that world has, has completely disappeared for those young people. They are now facing a, a workforce where the likelihood of getting a job is much more difficult, and even if you have a job, the ability to hold on to that job is a little bit more tentative than it was a year ago. Yeah, so a lot of changes uh, coming in, especially being a father of two teenagers. Uh, preparing them now uh, for the future is definitely ch- the conversations have changed. Uh, you know, they're they're you know they're your typical teenagers. I'm going to wait around for the phone to ring and see who calls me. And the talks now we're having are now it's time to pick up the phone and call people because nobody's going to call you. You need to make yourself known. And Mary, I think you well, can agree with me here that we always have to con- even no matter if you're. 20 years, a 20-something or 40-something or 50-something, we continuously need to sell ourselves out there in the marketplace, especially now today. And, in fact, I think this spring in particular, I was extremely busy going from law school to law school to law school and then also a number of business schools and talking to young people about the importance of taking charge of their careers, you know, even while they're still in school. Um, about how critically important it is for them to build a professional network, how important it is for them to reach out to other people and not assume that employers are going to come searching for them automatically. That, and that's, that's so true, Mary. Now, before we get started and digging in a little bit more deeper, tell us a little bit about yourself and your business and the services that you provide uh, uh, in the community. Sure. I I am a lawyer and a lobbyist by training who gave all of that up to attend, of all places, the Culinary Institute of America several years ago. I was fortunate enough when I graduated from the Culinary Institute to actually be hired to chef at the White House for a couple of years. Um, While I was at the White House, the gentleman who was then the executive chef had a brother-in-law who had just graduated from law school, was in a position where he needed to entertain clients and had absolutely no idea what to do. In fact, on a nightly basis, practically, he was calling the chef saying, you know, what are the safe restaurants to go to in town? What are the safe items to order off the menu? So one day, the chef and I were literally chopping vegetables together, and he suddenly looked at me and said, you know, there's a real job out there for somebody like you, somebody who knows what it's like to be a new young professional and who also knows this wonderful world of food and wine. Well, within about three months, I left the White House. I created a corporate identity. I created a curriculum. And I started offering my first pregnancy program that we call the Rules of Engagement that truly does work with young professionals in terms of preparing them for how to enter into the workforce. It gives them, here are the rules you need to know in order to succeed in the business world. In, in the years that have transpired since that time, the, the numbers and types of programs we offer have expanded exponentially. Uh, about three years ago, as the millennials started entering into the workforce, management within both corporations as well as law firms started coming to me and saying, we need somebody who can help us understand these young people who are walking into the workforce. And I think because I had spent so much time with those young folks, helping them understand how they were going to succeed, it became very easy for me to become a consultant to major law firms, major corporations, in helping them understand what was going through the mindset of the young people. So a lot of a lot of stuff definitely out there in the young people and uh, hap- happening in the world. You know, even today, 
uh, we see the advancements in technology, and we talked both in our last program. Uh, still, I, Mary, I still believe today that we need to offer the tools to the younger people because I think they, th- I, I believe they thrive when they have the right tools. But I also think the rules of engagement, as you mentioned, have changed a little bit too in how we, you know, how we employ the people. But it's maybe you know, being a, being technology professionals, and you know, the majority of these listeners that uh, tune in here are uh, supporting businesses that will hire uh, the younger generation. Uh, a lot of the conversations our uh, presidents and CEOs and CFOs that we have are about uh, blocking certain uh, services that are that the millennials are used to using on the web. Uh, talking about technology more in an old-school approach. But how important is it, Mary, for IT uh, professionals or business consultants to help educate their their clients, especially when I'm talking about the, the senior executives, on the importance of these tools when we're looking at the, the younger generation? Well, I, I think it's absolutely critical. And, and one of the realities, and I think technology is one of those areas where you've pinpointed it. I mean, if the generations are going to clash, it's going to be over technology. Because, quite frankly, those people who are the most senior people within organizations who may actually belong to the traditionalist generation, so they may have been born before 1945, the traditionalists and the baby boomers, um, although they're aware of technology, their comfort level with technology is nowhere near what the comfort level of a millennial is. You know, it was, it was 1984 that I think Apple had their famous commercial on during the Super Bowl that was um, a playoff of 1984. And it was in 1984 when we really started to have um, personal computers introduced to the home. You know, prior to that time, people went to work to work and they went home for fun and family. Well, it was somewhere around 1984 and the years immediately after that that all of those lines started to blur. And and I think you're absolutely right. Technology is one of those issues that if the generations are going to clash, it's going to clash over that. So are tools like like Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn in the more professional sense, uh, social networking and social media in general, are these uh, services that, the younger generation are demanding to their employ- uh, employers that they need to have access to? Absolutely. And, in fact, more and more of my clients, what I'm seeing is that they're creating some sort of social networking component to their internal website so that people can constantly communicate and Twitter and tweet to each other. Um, but I think more importantly, you know, one of the things that each of the generations need to realize is that they have different comfort levels with the types of technology and the forms of communication. I, I often am informing young people that they need to keep in mind that if they're exchanging email after email after email with somebody who's more senior, it may be time for them to get up out of their desk or away from their desk, walk down the hallway, and have a conversation with a more senior person. And the more senior people need to recognize that the social networking sites and the Twittering and the email is a form of communication that their younger folks are more comfortable with and that they may need to make some adjustments in that life. It's this constant um, challenge of all of the generations looking at each other, trying to figure out how does this person communicate most effectively and feel most comfortable, and then flexing to that individual. So kind of almost like we have to kind of meet halfway There's, uh, and, and understand how both sides of the, the coin operate and, and what, what, makes them, uh, what makes everybody tick. Absolutely. That, that's the way you, you build a really successful work environment. Uh, I think we would all agree there is no one right way to communicate. 
Now, there may be certain right ways to communicate messages. I, I was doing some research for a program um, that I'll be conducting next month. And, and in that program, one of the things, you know, as I'm going online trying to find some information, I noted a, a corporation in the United States that decided to dismiss a group of employees and the way they did it was through email. Now, I, I, personally, I just think that's inappropriate. I, I think if, if you have bad news to deliver to people, you shouldn't do that via email. That's one of those times when you get away from your desk and you go and have a face-to-face -face communication. But, but by and large, when we're talking about exchanging information, I, I think we need to agree that there's not necessarily one right way to communicate. And if we look at the other person and figure out in our own minds, how are they most comfortable communicating? If we can adjust to that person's wants and needs, the likelihood of having a really effective communication are significantly enhanced. So what I'm understanding, Mary, from you here is as a role, the role that, that I play in my day-to-day -day, uh, life outside of this radio program and a number of my peers that were put in this business advisor, trusted IT provider or yep. uh, role, our, our conversations need to be with everybody from uh, from the the very entry level position right to the most senior on how they're going to how they plan to use technology and make sure that all aspects of the company are are met and not to dismiss one as you know I mean I may be uh, more of a senior person so I don't get I don't get those tools so I'm going to recommend to my clients that they don't engage with them because that can create uh, that can create trouble in the business world for the for the for my client. Yeah, in fact, I think for, for the IT professional, you may need to be prepared to send out varying messages to your different audiences. You know, to, to the younger people within the corporation, posting something on an internal social networking site might be ideal. But I think for the more senior people within the organization, the likelihood that they're spending much time in that social networking component of the website, I, I think it's probably pretty small. So I, I would anticipate that with the most senior people, you might want to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with those folks. You know, let them know that on this particular date there's the upgrade and I'm going to stop by your office and walk you through this so that you're comfortable with what the new desktop looks like. Younger folks are going to adapt to it much more readily. Yeah, that's, that's what I have found too. The younger folks are easy to uh, need less hand-holding where uh, more of the senior folks need a little more of the, I call it the, the TLC. Well, and, and, you know, and I say this as somebody who is a baby boomer through and through and, and oftentimes look at technology and think, this is not my friend. This is slowing me down. Every time that I've upgraded a laptop, and I try to upgrade my laptop every 18 months, uh, I'm fortunate that my husband, who really does all of my IT stuff, he'll sit me down and he'll say, you just need to anticipate that for a week to two weeks, you're not going to be as productive as you were a month ago because it's going to take you a little bit of time to get familiar with this operating system, to get familiar with the changes that have happened with the icons on your desktop. So, so just be prepared for that. And, and I have to admit that little bit of forewarning always makes that transition just a little bit easier. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's critical. And I do a lot of social networking training, and the amount of, uh, I would call it my peers who are 40-plus, coming out to um, to learn about social networking and social media and how it inter interacts with their businesses I get a lot more people from the um, that are my peer uh, age group than I do of the younger people because I think they get it automatically like you mentioned uh, Mary you know as a let's, let's kind of talk about the shift a little bit in in roles inside a company are you seeing that more tasks are being handed down to the millennials and where where I'm kind of going with this is you know as we're 
going after our traditional clients of, you know, I'm trying to focus on small businesses of five to, say, 50 employees. Uh, we're getting a number of hits from our website and through our blogs and through our social networking that are, you know, inquiries from the younger people. Do you see uh, more of those tasks of, you know, coming from the CEO or the president saying, can you just go find a me, find me a new IT provider? And uh, they're turning more, instead of going into the yellow pages, turning to online resources? Oh, absolutely. I, I think almost everyone is going online. But, but again, um, I see different uses among the generations. For, for the baby boomers in particular, they're still going to websites. What my experience is is that with millennials, they don't spend much time going to actual websites. Instead, they're really focused on their social networking sites um, and their social networking opportunities and communities. Yeah, so I mean, they're, going to, they're looking at the, the Facebooks or the LinkedIns or all those other tools out there to find uh, the professional out there that could help them. That's why I always talk to my peers and say, you know, it's really important that you get involved with these and, and balance it with all your other marketing activities uh, yeah, to, to go ahead in the market. It's actually interesting. You know, two years ago when I was working with college students, I would tell them, if you've posted anything on Facebook, take it off right now. Because, you know, quite frankly, any, any employer, um, any prospective employer is very likely to go onto Facebook and to do all sorts of research about you. Well, I, I think it was sometime last year when we had a presidential candidate by the last name of Obama who had his own Facebook page that you suddenly realized you could no longer provide young folks with that instruction. Now, I think they still need to be aware of the fact that anything on Facebook may be viewed by any prospective employer. But I, I think the, the future is, is that we'll probably have more people using the social networking sites in order to build their community. That's right. I mean, we're even doing it here at my company uh, all the time. I spend a lot of time focused on the social networking side of uh, our marketing and how we can leverage uh, communities and YouTube and all these cool features out there. So let's get back to the you – know, sorry, Mary, uh, sorry, go ahead, Mary. Uh, just one thing that I, I like to, you know, one of the things I think, and I, I try to communicate to this to young people, is that as good as Facebook is, they need to always keep in the back of their mind the importance of FaceTime. It's, it, it's Facebook plus FaceTime. They really need to focus on both of those. Um, one, one of the issues that I have found exists in so many workplaces is that the young people, as they enter into the workplace, have grown up in a world in which they have their laptops and are very comfortable with the concept that they can work any place, any time. And frequently they will come into a workplace with the idea of, you know, I'm, I'm not certain why it's so important for me to show up in the office as long as I get the work done. So if I do my work at home or at Starbucks or in the yoga studio after I finish my yoga, it shouldn't matter as long as the work is done. And I think one of the things that young people need to be aware of is that employers want to make sure the work is done, but they also um, want to establish a real relationship with the younger employers. And, and in that sense, the FaceTime continues to be very, very critical. In fact, you know, there, there is, um, uh, oh, it was a slogan that I think John Mazda created when he wrote the, the book Megatrend some years ago, that we have moved into a world of high tech. And as important as high-tech is, as we move more and more into that world, high-touch has become just as important, if not more so. Oh, that's, I totally, totally agree. There's got to be a fine, uh, fine balance there between uh, what we do technology-wise and what we do uh, face-to-face-wise. I think that's critical important that we, we balance that, uh, 
across you know across everything that we do in our life, not only in our business but also uh, in in our own personal life. I mean, I have a great story. It's very it's funny. You know, I have, like I said, I have two teenager boys, and I have more text messages conversations with them than I do face to face some days, and, and that's pretty scary actually. I, I think it's really scary, and in fact, I've often wondered, you know, how do those people then move into relationships? Um, I understand there is a website that exists now that if you don't want to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend face-to-face, you can communicate with this website, and the website will send the breakup message. I, I just don't think that's good. You know, at, at some point, um, in, in terms of, of our personal life as well as our professional life, those relationships will become critical. And, in fact, I think one of the things that we have all learned in this period of recession is that those personal relationships are more and more important. It is the, the personal relationship that I think many employers keep in mind when they're trying to make the decision, which employees am I going to continue to retain, which are the employees that I'm going to need to lay off. Uh, among those who have been laid off, I, I've seen it, you know, among colleagues of my own. That, that it's the personal relationships that they've maintained with various people that have helped them find the next job or, or have helped them sustain themselves through a period which, which is tough economically. Mm-hmm. I, I totally, totally agree with you there. So, Mary, before we, before we went live, we chatted about a, a number of things about bridging the gap, and that was the topic for today is, you know, businesses today are, are, are changing and businesses definitely changed their, you know, I think what I think the count was we kind of four generations uh, of people in the workforce now in workplaces. Four generations uh, in the workplace. The, the generation that clearly is almost out of the workplace is the traditionalist generation. Those would have been people born sometime between 1925 and 1945. Um, 1945, of course, being the end of World War II. Um, the baby boomer generation probably are, are the greatest number of managers right now in both of our countries. Um, those would be people born sometime between 1945 and the end point for that generation. People go back and forth. Some people say it was the Kennedy assassination. Other people say it's 1964 when the birth control pill really became available um, across the counter. Um, let's see, the, the gener- Generation Y, those would be people born sometime between 1964, let's say, and 1982. Um, 1982, that endpoint was the last major recession that hit both of our economies. And then the millennials were born sometime between 1982, and the endpoint for that generation is probably going to be pinpointed around September 11th of 2001. That, that means that there is another generation already out there. You know, they, they are um, preschoolers right now, but it is the next generation that we'll be seeing coming into the workforce in another 15 to 20 years. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think as IT professionals, Mary, we can kind of relate, you know, similar timelines around this as well. As, you yeah. know, when you look at the tr- traditionalists in the IT world, those are the ones that uh, – you know, everything has to be on site, and, you know, I need to be able to monitor everything and police everything that's going on. Then we have where I fit in kind of the, you know, the the, the 30, 40 somethings that, you know, we understand that how, you know, how everything works and how the advantages we can have uh, as technologists and, and supporting this. But, and, you know, a combination of different technologies, maybe we're pretty, you know, versed on the web and how it works, but we need to have, you know, there's still a combination of some traditional and then we have the millennials that everything belongs out in the cloud. You know, they're so used yeah. to having everything out there. Everything's open for everybody to see, sharing of, you know, fine details about their life. If, you know, if they're going out for dinner at a restaurant, it's, it's, it's second nature for them to sit with an iPhone 
at a at a restaurant and, and send a Facebook message or a Twitter message that they're at the restaurant down the street and anybody wants to join them, please do. Is that what we're seeing, uh, especially today? You know, in fact, as we talk about technology, I'm a little amused. I think about my own family. You know, my my, my parents both were members of the traditionalist generation. And I can remember growing up that my parents pretty much had an attitude of you don't use the telephone unless there's a death in the family. I mean, the, the telephone was really set aside for sharing critically important information. Well, by the time I came along, and especially as I moved in my teenage years, I was on the telephone nonstop. And I look at my young nieces and nephews who are members of the millennial generation, and not only, well, they don't use the telephone at all anymore. In fact, what they have are their own cell phones, and they use the cell phone not to place calls, but to send text messages to each other. Mm-hmm. That's where my kids are, too. Yep. Yeah, there's, yeah, they don't use the phone to make phone. Yeah, it's definitely just a, a text messaging tool. I don't think they'd make too many phone calls at all on there in fact, uh, these I think days. There was a- there was a fascinating statistic that I heard on, on a national news report, oh, I don't know, maybe it was last week or so, saying that for the first time in the United States at least, the number of households which are saying that they use a cell phone as their primary method of communicating with the outside world for the first time exceeded the number of households that use a landline. And, and I think, you know, increasingly that's going to be the case. You know, for, forget buying, forget going to the phone company to get a telephone for your house. We've got cell phones. We can take the cell phones with us anywhere. And increasingly I'm hearing the same sort of thing about television. You know, there, there was an article, I think, in one of the, the New York papers maybe a week or so ago that said, you know, the young people look at anyone who would spend money on cable as absolutely crazy. You know, why should you spend money on cable when you can go onto your computer and download most of those television programs? Now, I, I think that the challenge that we're going to face in the future is the challenge that right now all of the major print media is facing. You know, they, they created these websites within the past 10 years. They've been providing all of this wonderful information for free. We have groups of young people who are believing they ought to be able to get all of that stuff for free. And, of course, there are expenses that are involved in producing all of that stuff. Uh, I I think something will probably happen as the millennials mature that they'll start saying, okay, here's the way that we can go ahead and, and, and get this information that we want at a cost that's going to be substantially less than what, let's say, cable was 10 years ago, um, but that still ensures that we'll get quality programming. Interesting, because we're definitely seeing that, uh, you know, we've definitely seen it in the music industry where the, when, when the Napsters and those type of services yeah. were all the range where, you know, people expected music for free, and we're often have to see the recording artists now adapt to different ways of doing business and you know hats off to apple for kind of leading that with their itunes you know in the it world we're seeing a definite definite change to people wanting stuff for free i mean it's you know the microsoft's of the world and the and those people are are struggling to understand how they're going to make money because we have the open source communities we have the googles that are supplying a lot of this information at no cost or or very little expense and you know I, I see that as that's. I think that's going to be the norm going forward, Mary. That we're going to people are going to expect, and I think you just hit that uh, nail on the head. There's anything more you want to expand on that? 
Well, I, I think it, it's going to be the big challenge for an economy moving forward. What, what, what will eventually happen is all of these young people who are extremely bright and expre- extremely talented, eventually they're all going to want to make salaries. They're going to want to make a certain amount of money, and some of them are going to be in the very creative class. And, and eventually they'll be the young people who will come up with the idea of saying, okay, we understand cheap. We understand that you want to be able to download it immediately. We also need to make an income. And, and I suspect they will probably follow the Steve Jobs model, the Apple model, you know, figure out how can we get people information at a reduced cost where they can get it at their fingertips. Uh, I, again, you know, and I say this to somebody as, who is a boomer, I have been, you know, within an inch of purchasing a Kindle already because I love the idea that I can download 1,500 books and carry them with me on the airplane. You know, as somebody who travels practically nonstop, the whole idea of buying books at every airport, at some point it does become a little crazy. You know, one, I don't have enough energy to tote all of those books around. And two, there, there is this sense of why am I cutting down trees in order to make a book that I'm going to read quickly and then leave someplace else. You know, I'd, I'd like to be a more green individual. Uh, I think, you know, and, and quite frankly, let's, let's, let's face it, the Kindle, when you can download a book, it's only a percentage of the cost of what you're going to get when you purchase a book at the local bookstore. I, I think we're going to have a meeting of the minds eventually, and, and people will go ahead and spend what they think is a reasonable amount of money in order to do something that's green, to get what they actually want, to get the information they want. Uh, eventually, the, the magazines and the newspapers are going to figure this out. It's just going to take a little bit of time. The, uh, yeah, and that's, uh, you know, I, Mary, one of the hard things I have with that whole, uh, whole concept, which I, which I get, but you know, when I go to, bed at, go to bed at night and that half hour I read before I go to sleep, the last thing I want to look at is a computer screen. Yeah, well, and in fact, I was watching a newscast, and it was um, there was a small piece on seven millennials that were challenged to live an entire week without any of the technology. So forget your cell phone, forget your laptop. And then they talked to these millennials afterwards and said, so how did you cope with this? And I'll never forget this young, one young man saying, you know, the newspaper was just the real challenge. And I'm watching this thing, what's the challenge? And he said, you know, he's always gone to his laptop in order to get information. He said, so he got this newspaper and he said, first of all, it's awkward on the subway because you have to figure out how far can I open this. And then there's ink that gets all of your, over your fingers. He says, it's just a really bad design. And I, I was just so amused to have somebody say, you know, that a newspaper, which I've often thought was just the perfect thing in the world. I mean, here's all of this information. You just have to flip to the page to get Somebody described it as poor design. I, I think, again, it's these two very different perspectives. I still love the smell of old books. This young person was annoyed by the fact that newspaper ink gets all over his fingers. It's our different perspectives that we're bringing to the world. Absolutely. Uh, that's that's so true. I mean, I don't read the newspaper that much anymore, but uh, definitely, yeah, books are something I still have a lot of comfort with, and, yeah. and I, I can't see myself uh, changing that right away. But you know, let's get you know, let's talk about some of the you know key events uh, and people that influenced uh, you know each generation uh, and the impact these events had on the, you know traditional things like values and you know attitudes and you know in business and life and perhaps maybe what you visionary and outlooks down the road, you know. You know, what are some of the things you're seeing, or, or what? Sorry, let me rephrase it. What are some of the key people 
you mentioned Barack Obama earlier, but that are having influences on the this uh, millennial generation. Well, but Barack Obama, um, I think, quite frankly, we would not have a President Obama but for the millennial generation. Um, you know, he, he in so many ways represents what this particular generation is all about, and I mean, I mean this in a very, very positive light. Um, some of the characteristics of the millennial generation, they tend to be very inclusive. They tend to be very civic-minded. They are intent on getting an education and on using that education. They're not chasing dollars as much as they want to chase big ideas, and they want to give back to their communities. And, and I think everything about President Obama communicated to that particular generation. Well, one of the things that, that in the United States in particular I have found amazing about the millennial generation, you know, um, in 1972 in the United States, 18-year-olds were given the right to vote for the first time. And, and since 1972, politicians and the political scientists have not been able to figure out, you know, they could get young people to show up for, for big rallies. They could get young people to show up to put placards on front yards. But they couldn't get young people to actually go into voting booths and push a lever in order to cast a vote. Well, Barack Obama, um, I think in part because of his message, and I think in part because of who and what the millennial generation is, for the first time with his election, that millennial generation showed up and they voted in droves. And, and I think this is going to be one of the real dramatic changes that we'll see in both of our countries. I, I think for the first time we're going to have young people who will get very, very active in politics. And, again, just get active beyond showing up for the rallies. They'll actually vote. So I think uh, I think the Canadian government can learn a lot from uh, Barack Obama in a big way because I think we're very much stuck in that traditionalism frame of mind. But uh, that's a topic for another day. Uh, any other key any other key people you're seeing out there, Mary, that would be influencers? You know, maybe from you know coming from uh, the Gen X, uh, the traditional and and help and working with uh, the younger generation. Well, I, I think. Um you know, the, the, most, the most successful people that we see in corporations, in law firms, in leadership, I, I think what they constantly do is they step back and they look across the generations and figure out how do I get the best work out of all of these people. In fact, um, one of my favorite movies, and I love to show segments of this movie whenever I'm talking to, to managers, I, I always encourage people, um, there are a couple of them, to go out and watch Apollo 13 where you see Gene Kranz working with all of these very technology-minded individuals. You see this explosion that took place, and you see how he managed to work with all of the people at NASA who came from very, very different backgrounds and, and managed to get the very, very best work performance out of them. I, I think that's one of the things that, that managers and, and leaders within any organization want to do, constantly step back and think to themselves, how do I get the best out of these people? And if it means I work with, with my boomers in one way and I work with my millennials in another way, that's absolutely fine. You know, the, the bottom line goal is to make sure you're getting the best work performance out of everyone. Yeah, Apollo uh, Apollo 13 movie was great. I I have to admit for that for that. And what was the other one? I with Clint Eastwood and it was uh uh I know I can't I can't remember, but they went out and they Actually, went up to space. The old the older generation went up into oh, space yeah, and yeah. had to compete with the younger one. So but, but the other movie that I love to talk to people about, it's the most recent Die Hard. I think it would be Die Hard 
three or four maybe that came out just maybe 18 months or so ago where we have Bruce Willis, a typical baby boomer, interacting with a member of the millennial generation. And I always tell managers, I look at how well Bruce Willis eventually interacts with this young person. I mean, they, they, they butt heads for a good section of the movie, but Bruce Willis eventually is smart enough to recognize that this young man is comfortable with technology. And in the end of the movie, it turns out that young person's comfort level with technology is what saves both of them. Yeah, that's 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 wonderful. Um, you know what what else are you seeing, Mary? Like uh, uh, we kind of talk about unique generational expectations at work. Um, is there anything else we need to touch on there about just you know understanding the generational differences? Well, I, I think in terms of their expectations at work, um, there are a couple of things. You know, members of the baby boomer generation, as, as I think you've already alluded to, have a tendency to come into the workplace and see a hierarchy and ex- people, expect people to understand that there's a hierarchy and obey the hierarchy. You know, there are people who are leaders. There are people who are followers. I think when you start talking about Gen X and even more so the millennial generation, those two generations aren't as aware of hierarchy at all. You know, they come into a workplace much more expecting that there's an even playing field and that, you know, we're all workers here. It really doesn't matter if somebody's a boss or somebody's the newest person on the block. You know, we're just all employees and we should all be treated pretty much alike and it would be nice if we were all paid pretty much alike. I think one of the other big differences in the generation is in so many cases the baby boomers entered into the workplace in the 1970s and the 1980s where it really was a very, very, very difficult workplace. You know, we mentioned this at the the very beginning of this program. In in 1982, both of our economies um, were hit by a really bad recession. And, in fact, we haven't quite hit the difficulties that – that baby boomers faced in 1982 when we entered the workplace. Um, For a period of time in 1982, at least in the United States, the unemployment rate was hovering around 11 and 12 percent, and it was 11 and 12 percent unemployment at a time when the inflation rate was at 16, 17, 18 percent. People who, who entered that particular workforce, they very much came into the workforce with an attitude of, boy, I'm lucky to have this job. Let me put my head down. Let me keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to to ruffle anybody's feathers or rock the boat for anything because there are plenty of other people that would like this particular job. But, you know, the the reality is, is that up until September of last year, the millennials in particular had only been exposed to a period of good economic growth. I mean, we, we saw a little bit of a downturn in 2001, but in the United States, at least, when, there was, when that dot-com boom went bust and there was an economic downturn, the instructions that we all received was, you know, for heaven's sakes, go out shopping and don't forget to do some traveling, too. Just spend, 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 and we'll spend our way out of the recession. Well, all of that changed in September of last year. Um, so I think what we probably are going to see with the millennials is that we'll see um, two different groups within this particular generation. And, again, that's not going to be that much unlike the baby boomers. With with the baby boomers, there was a portion of that generation that were very much involved in the Vietnam War, a good portion of that generation that actually had to be involved in the Vietnam War. Uh, I was born to the end of the baby boomer generation, and for me the Vietnam War was something that took place on Life magazine. I, I didn't know anyone who went off to Southeast Asia. Well, similarly, I think when we start looking at the millennial generation, we'll have the people who entered the workforce 
prior to 2008 and the people who came into the workforce after 2008. And I think you'll see very, very different attitudes among those two different groupings. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I relate to you because I'm um... – uh, you know, I was just born when the Vietnam War was happening, and, and, and the Canadian market was a little, a little different. You know, Canadian world, yeah. country was different. It was a little different when we came and looking, looking at that. But we all had, we all had friends, new friends, and yeah. but you know, to me, it was the Vietnam War was something that I, I saw in movies. So yeah. that you know, that's critical. But I, I know, I definitely, I am going to know. You know, what was I doing in 2008, 2009, uh, well, going forward? One of my law firm clients here in the New York City area, I, I had dinner with my key contact in December of last year and was asking him how things were going at the law firm. And, and this particular law firm went through a series of layoffs in October. Um, and then I think, oh, a week or so after the series of layoffs, there was a memo that went out saying, okay, this is what we're going to do with salaries. This is what we're going to do with bonuses this year. And, you know, we're, all, we're having to do this because of the economy, and we just want everyone to be aware of this fact. Well, my key contact tells me that about a week after that particular memo went out, and it probably went out both in paper as well as email format, about a week after that memo went out, uh, a committee of new associates goes up to my key contact office, and he happens to be in charge of recruiting and professional development for the law firm. This group of associates sat down and looked at my key contact, and he said, you know, we really think that we should reopen this discussion of bonuses. Well, I can just remember to this day looking at my key contact and saying, they don't get it yet, do they? They don't realize that they're just lucky to have jobs. And I think for some percentage of these young people, that attitude will continue. Now, I think the millennials that are entering into the workforce this year, I think the millennials that come into the workforce next year, I think they're going to have a completely different attitude. They will realize that they're just darn lucky to have jobs. That, that yeah, I can definitely see where that uh, comes from. But I think it still takes. Uh, I still love to have. I still want to have millennials on my workforce because they get you know, the clientele that we need to work with. But and again, we can talk about that at a different date about you know how to team up with all of them. You know, Mary, one of the things we talked about quite a bit was the the traditionalists, the millennials, and you know, you and I kind of sandwiched in the middle here. What strategies would you recommend to your clients for bridging that generational gap? Yeah, well, one of the things I always tell people is you need to recognize that those four generations are out there and then be prepared to work with each generation much more differently. Um, for the baby boomers in particular, you know, one of the conversations I've had with lots of managers is I understand that for you coming into the workplace is really important. I understand that for you, baby boomer boss, it's really important for you to have a certain amount of face time. But I think baby boomer bosses need to become aware of the fact that these young people really are more comfortable working at anywhere, anytime, as long as the projects get done. And I think at some point, baby boomers are going to have to sit down and say, how important is it to actually have people coming into the office on a regular basis? And, oh, by the way, might there not be some cost savings out there if we actually create a more flexible environment where people don't have to come into an office every single day? And, you know, one of the things they're doing here in Calgary, Mary, is uh, Transport Canada, which is almost similar to what the FAA is in the U.S., has uh, given the Calgary Economic Development Board uh, $800,000 to educate businesses on the power of telecommuting and teleworking yep. because the fact is that their staff are, are asking for that, 
Plus, you know, it's not necessarily a, a, you know, you can argue both sides of the coin if it, if it, if they make it more productive or they're counterproductive. But there's definitely unique arguments around, you know, parking issues, traffic density, and the environment that, you know, if you message it to the younger generation this way, you know, they get that. Yes. Now, the, the challenge I think is, is that for a manager in particular, um, it is much more difficult to build relationships to build team camaraderie, and I think to build long-term loyalty to an organization when all you're doing is connecting electronically. And I think what, what leaders and managers will start to figure out fairly quickly is that they need to do a combination of both. They, they need to allow people to have this ability to telecommute as long as the work is getting done, the work's getting done well, the work's getting done on a timely basis. But at the same time, they need to have those opportunities for people to come together physically. Because in the long run, relationships are what it is still all about. People want to work with people that they like and enjoy being with. And you have to have a certain amount of face-to-face interaction to build those relationships. Yes, I agree. You, you, know, you have to uh, you know, at least get together every once in a while and you know, look in each other's eyes and, and get the real, the real story of what's happening out there. You know, I, I think this is going to happen with client interactions, too. You know, lots of my law firm clients have moved into teleconferencing with the whole idea, you know, our clients are in one location, we're in another location. Rather than flying a team of lawyers out there, it saves everybody time and money if we have teleconferences. And those teleconferences can be very, very valuable. But, but I always remind people, you know, never forget the importance of having some of that face-to-face time. It's the way that you really build the relationship long-term. And you know, even Mary in the IT world, that we're we're seeing a different, sh- definitely a shift to delivering services remotely instead of going on site. And yeah. I always caution my peers that purely go to a, a remote service delivery, they may want to think about what the impact on the client would be. And from this point, people like to have that death side support. They like to reach over and grab you by the arm and say, "Stop! Stop! You're going too fast." Um, but, I think we, you, don't fact, get that, you don't get that feeling over the wire. You know, I, I was having a difficult time with my little traveling laptop a couple of weeks ago and went to, well, I, a provider here in the United States with a, okay, we got some difficulty here. Um, they ended up deinstalling and then reinstalling the entire operating system for this little laptop. And I found, and I, I, I am embarrassed to admit this to an IT expert, but when I first turned on the computer, one of the things that just was driving me up the wall was the fact that my icons now were all appearing in order on the left side. I couldn't move them to another location on my laptop. And finally went back to this group and sat them down and I said, you know, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but this is the biggest problem I have right now, that I can't set up my laptop the way I want it. And the tech person was just fabulous in terms of saying, okay, let me sit down. I'm going to physically show you how you do this so this never happens again. I don't think any tech person should ever forget how important that little bit of communication can be. It was the sort of thing that, one, um, it helped solve my problem, but, two, it was the let me just take care of this and walk you through with it. And, and it made it an invaluable relationship as far as I was concerned. Um, you know, that's, that's so right. So, you know, that's just the way. That's the way it has to be, Mary. Is, you know, we have to have that combination. You know, clients love the fact that we can take care of things remotely uh, when there's not a lot of human interaction involved. Yeah. But you know, even in, in even in the down in a, in a in a tight deadline situation, they appreciate the fact that we can connect onto their machine 
and move things around and uh, you know get them back up and working in, in a timely fashion. But they still want that balance, and I think you nailed it on the head. When you sit down with them across the table, uh, take the time and invest the time in them uh, to uh, you know get that great feedback that you just share with us. You know, yeah. talking about that that kind of that kind of interaction, you know, one of the things there is, uh, Mary, you know, it's, it's shared values. Are you seeing any shared values across the four generations? Like, like, are we talking honesty, integrity, those type of values, or or is it much deeper than that? Well, in, in fact, um, real frequently when I do my program on generational issues, I have an exercise at the very end where I throw up on the screen a listing of ten values. And I ask people within the group, you know, can you identify um, three of these values on the, of these ten that you consider critically important? And I'll have everyone look at this list of ten values for a period of time, and then I switch to the next screen where there are only five values listed. And I ask people, I say, you know, if three of your most important values are, are, appear in this list of five, would you please stand up? Well, inevitably, every time I do this, every single person in the room stands up. Then I bring the list down to only three, and I say, now, is one of your top values, does it still appear in this list of three? And everyone will continue standing up. It, it turns out that if you look across all of the generations, virtually every single one of the generations will identify family as their top value. What, what is important, I think, for employers in particular to recognize is that how each of the generations express that value is very, very different. Um, the baby boomers in particular have said over and over and over, family is really important to us, and the way we're going to express that value or demonstrate that family is so important is we're going to put in the long hours at the workplace. We're going to earn as much money as we possibly can. We'll buy the big house. We'll do the vacations. We'll do the, the, um, the family vacation home. Um, we'll try to send our, our kids to the very, very best schools. Well, I think what we find when we start talking to Generation X and the millennial generation is both of them will come back and say that family is equally as important to them. But increasingly, the way that they are expressing that value is to say the way family is important to us and the way we're going to show it's important is by spending more time with our family. So, again, this is an issue that I think employers are going to have to straddle. I think increasingly employers are going to find that for the millennial generation, they're willing to put in long hours periodically. You know, when there's a critically important project, I'll go ahead and put in the long hours. But I want to be able to balance that with the more quiet time periods when I can spend more time with my family and my friends. Isn't that the the truth across all the the generations is, uh, you know, we all – I'm probably the biggest victim of that, Mary, is, or I wouldn't say victim, but I mean sometimes I say victim and abuser, and uh, sometimes all around just regular uh, king of BS when it comes to. That. Yeah, I understand the importance of family, but sometimes uh, I allow other things to get in the way, and I think that ha- that happens with everybody uh, in today's world. And in fact, one of the the fascinating studies about the millennial generation is we're now saying. That young, seeing that young men are saying that work-life balance is important to them at a higher percentage than young women. That's the first time in history that we've ever seen that. You know, since women entered into the workplace, there's been this constant drum of, you know, we need balance so that we have more time with our families, et cetera. Well, now for the first time, and again, I think it's a reflection of this new generation that's coming into the workforce, it's the young men who are insisting that they want work-life balance. And I think that's going to have dramatic implications on our workforce in the future. 
Mary, do you see technology um, being used in an ex- as an excuse in work-life balance? I, I blogged about it on my blog at stuartcrawford.com this morning. Uh, we're running a BlackBerry course here in Calgary, and uh, I made a, a point of saying that my BlackBerry has allowed me to, you know, uh, spend the weekends at home or go to the, the kids' school activities because I can still keep in contact with the office while I'm watching my son uh, do Romeo and Juliet at a school play. And, and I think probably one of the luxuries that we will have and develop in the future, you know, one of the, the signs that you've really made it is when you can turn your own BlackBerry off and assume that everybody else is messaging each other. You know, I, I think that will become the luxury of the future. You know, I've taken an entire vacation and I didn't look at my email once. That, that, that's going to be the, the sign that you've made it in the future. Yeah, exactly. And one of the key things I learned about the uh, the BlackBerry uh, iPhone or whatever phone you're using is that there's this magical button on the phone called the on-off switch. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I mean, I've I've been I made a deal with my teenage son because him and his girlfriend uh, at the time were texting back and forth, and they had some issues with their relationship, and they would never ever call each other on the phone. Yeah. So you know, I would just say, you know, if I can leave my BlackBerry in the car at night when I get home from work. You can turn yours off when you come in from school. Well, you know, and again, this is going back to, to comparing the generations and realizing that, you know, as technology advances, we, we change slightly, but it's the same problem that keeps getting repeated over and over. When, when I was a teenager spending all of that time on the telephone, at some point my mother created the rule that all of these phone conversations need to be limited to 30 minutes. You know, if there's anything important that you need to say to so-and-so, you can finish that conversation within 30 minutes. You can get it said in that amount of time. And, and we got to a point, I'm embarrassed to admit, that my mother literally would start the timer on the stove, on the kitchen stove, as soon as I started one of my phone conversations so that when it rang, I knew I had to hang up. Well, you know, you're doing the next, the, the newer variation of that. You know, yep, you can, you can text all you want, but, but when you come into the house at this point, you've got to turn it off. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly the way it should be uh, going forward here. Mary, we've got a couple minutes left in our uh, time together. Um, any last-minute things that we haven't uh, hit on that you would you wanted to get off your uh, get off your chest about uh, you know uh, bridging the gap of the generations today? Well, actually, it is um, one thing that I think is important to say. There are so many people who talk about the millennial generation, and I think they really have um, almost created a caricature of the entire generation. You know, they're comfortable with their cell phones. All they do is text. You know, they use this funny text messaging lingo. Um, they have these wonderful helicopter parents. They want everything now. They want to do everything their way. Uh, you know, it, it really is a caricature that in so many ways is, is not a positive one. And, and I really wish people would stop that because I, I think this generation that's coming into the workforce is really a fabulous generation. As I said, they expect, in fact, they demand inclusiveness. They want to see other people succeed. They want to change the world, and they want to change it in a very, very positive way. I think they are going to improve our world tremendously, and I'm tremendously encouraged by them. That's right. I mean, I'm, I'm looking for Mary, I'm, I am so excited about what the future has to offer for us. I'm, uh, you know, just looking forward to it and, you know, and very excited about everything that's going to be happening in the next little while. Uh, Mary, you know, the funny thing is 30 
30 years from now, the millennials will be looking at whatever generation is coming into the workforce, and they'll be scratching their heads trying to figure out how are we going to deal with these young people. <laughs> Isn't that so true? I'm sure, the, I'm, sure, I'm sure my dad said that to me when I was like 16 years old. Yeah. Mary, uh, I, thank you very much for uh, taking some time uh, out of your day, busy day or your lunch hour to come and talk with us today. How do people get in touch with you if they want to, uh, you know, learn more about your services and uh, or just engage with you, uh, you know, in general? It's a cinch. They can always go to our website. That would be www.marycrane.com. Or feel free to just write me an email directly. It's mary at marycrane.com. That's, that's real easy. So there you go. That's uh, a wonderful way to reach out and learn more about uh, dealing with millennials and the generational gaps uh, in today's society. Mary, as always, thank you very much uh, once again. And uh, we'll look forward to doing this again in another 15 to 18 months. Thanks, dude. I'll look forward to it. And that was uh, Mary Crane who joined us to talk about bridging the gap in today's uh, in today's world, you know, a lot of things have changed since we uh, since we chatted last. I just want to bring you up to speed on future uh, episodes of Small Business IT Radio. We'll be taking the next couple weeks off because we have a sales conference here in Calgary next Friday, and then I'll be uh, with uh, the HCG Peer Group in uh, in Mississauga in two weeks' time. So our next show will not be until June the 26th, and we have Kendra Lee coming from, coming on from the KLA Group. Kendra's going to be talking about uh, you know. Secret ways of attracting new prospects into our business. So that will be uh, that'll be on June 26th, and then our show that we're supposed to have last week with uh, Ryan Morris from iPad is now going to be scheduled on July the 10th at, at 10 o'clock Mountain Time, noon on the uh, East Coast. And Ryan will be joining uh, joining us to talk about the partner of the future, uh, kind of a spinoff of what he was talking about at the Heartland Technology uh, Summit back in April. Uh, thanks again to Mary for uh, for wonderful insight on uh, bridging the generational gap, uh, and to everybody who is listening uh, live here today on uh, Small Business IT Radio. My name is Stuart Crawford. I am so blessed to be your uh, your be your host and uh, and sharing time with you guys, uh, either live or on your iPod or Zoom when you're working out of the gym or walking down the street. If you have any questions, I'd welcome you to email me. My direct email is Stuart S T U A R T at stuartcrawford.com. Our website is smallbusinessitradio.com, and I look forward to uh, learning more about what you do, if you, especially if you have something you want to share with us on this program. We're always looking for great guests, so please feel free to reach out and, uh, and share what you're doing out there in the IT community. We'll look forward to talking to you again real soon. Have a great and successful month. We'll look forward to talking to you on June the 26th.